0: Um, This morning we are uh, talking about Pentecost. Pentecost is uh, a word that means 50th and that's because it was the festival that came the 50th day after Passover for the Jews in the Old Testament and it's also what would be for us the 50th day after Jesus' death and resurrection. So, if you do a little bit of math here, Jesus died, raised from the dead. He spends 40 days on earth um, after raising from the dead before ascending into heaven. That gives us a 10 day period between the time Jesus leaves and this first Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit would descend upon his people. So, here we find in the beginning of chapter 2 of Acts, which is where you can turn your Bibles, uh, the beginning of Acts chapter 2, we find the disciples. They're all gathered together in one place, waiting for the this Holy Spirit, what in the world is going to happen? Let's find out as we read Acts chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 14, and then we're going to jump over to verse 36 um, to save us a little bit of time. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Then Peter goes on to uh, explain how Christ, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. We pick up again in uh, Acts And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of the Lord let's pray. Father God, we are thankful uh, for this uh, true story you have given us uh, that reveals to us so much about your character, about your love for your people, and about what you have called us to, Lord. May you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, work in our hearts with the preaching of the word today. May you make the words effective. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember a time when I was uh, a teenager and I was inside of my house in our neighborhood in Maryland and I heard what sounded like a skateboard. You know that sound of plastic skateboard wheels going across asphalt? That noise. Except it was really loud. And I was like, what in the world is going on? So of course, what do you do when you hear a loud noise? You run outside. And what had happened was a giant tree that was in the middle of our yard uh, because of ice that was on the branches had just collapsed and had fallen over. And the sound I had heard was the sound of the wood creaking and then cracking. For some reason it sounded like a skateboard to me. Um, So what we do is when we hear something loud, when we hear something interesting or like something is clearly going on, we will often run to go investigate what is going on here. And that's certainly what happens uh, to the Jews here who are in Jerusalem. You see, the Jews had come from all over the world on this pilgrimage to visit the temple, the place where God resided here in Jerusalem. Because the Festival of Weeks was a time that these Jews would have come on a pilgrimage. It would have been a good time to go visit Jerusalem. So that's why you have these group of people from all over the world. And as they get there, they're hoping to experience uh, some encounter with God, but they have no idea what they're in for. Because all of a sudden, they hear this noise. It sounds like a mighty rushing wind. And they run to investigate. You see this in verse 6. It says, And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. They wanted to know what in the world is going on out there. What is that noise out on the streets? As we look at this passage, we also have the same question. We see there's something going on here. This is that big story. These crazy things are happening. People are speaking and hearing in other languages. Um, there's tongues of fire above people's heads. What does this mean? We kind of come to it looking like what is actually going on here? What is happening? How do I understand this? Now, today, there's also a lot of noise regarding the Holy Spirit, Right? You hear a lot of people talk about the Holy Spirit. You hear, you've been in churches perhaps where the Holy Spirit was a really big deal. Um, and maybe you come from a church, perhaps, where maybe you saw some abuses, what seemed like misuse of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps the Holy Spirit was used as a tool to maybe prop oneself up or to make a leader look super spiritual or to try to show how ultra-spiritual ultra someone was. Maybe you'll see Uh, maybe you see misuses of the Holy Spirit, someplace where it's really loud. Or maybe you've been in another environment altogether where you're like, oh yeah, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, like, we don't really talk about him, he's kind of like off to the side, he's not that big of a deal, or we don't really understand him, so we don't know what to say about him, we don't want to mess up. Well, this morning, I have a hope, I have hope for us, I have hope that we, as we study this passage, will gain two things, we'll gain a greater understanding and therefore a greater appreciation of what the role of the Holy Spirit actually is But also, I hope that we leave here with a greater dependence upon his work as he works in our lives and in this world. Our two points this morning, if you're taking notes, are first, the Spirit's work, and second, the Spirit's mission. The Spirit's work and the Spirit's mission. Let's talk about the Spirit's work. Um, What is going on in this passage? What is the Spirit actually doing? And what does that mean for us today. Well, in order to understand what is happening in Acts chapter 2, you have to back up to the beginning of your Bible. If you look at Genesis chapter 11, you'll find a story that you are all familiar with, although you probably never thought about it too much, called the Tower of Babel. It's this day when it's early on, right after God has created the world, soon after the flood, that the uh, people of the world gather together and they decide that they are going to build a tower for themselves. I'm going to read a few verses from chapter 11, verses 4 through 7. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we just be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech." You see, what the, people, the these people were doing was they were trying to build this city, to build this tower in order to display their self-sufficiency, their independence from God, their lack of need of God. They can do everything that they need to do on their own. But you see, what God is doing here in the Tower of Babel is he is protecting them from their own self-sufficiency. And so what he does is he confuses their language. Now let's take a moment to remember that self-sufficiency is the ultimate problem of all humanity. A a, a false belief in our own independence, in our own separateness from God, our own ability to provide for ourselves what we need, to decide for ourselves what we think is best, is the ultimate problem the Bible explains with humanity. We see this in the garden as, as... Adam and Eve are tempted to eat the fruit. What are they tempted with? They're saying, if you eat this fruit, you will become like God. So the ultimate sin is for them to decide, I don't need God. I can be in charge of my own life. Now this is ridiculous, of course, because if God were to remove his hand from the maintenance of creation, it would cease to exist. It would fall apart. Humanity cannot make the world turn. Humanity cannot keep the world from falling apart. However, even back in the fall when Adam and Eve sinned, you see uh, that God had grace for his people. As soon as they fall, he promises that one day he's going to fix it. Now the Tower of Babel is one of these many moments throughout the Old Testament where God keeps the creation from completely destroying itself. He protects it. But what the Tower of Babel is, is it's kind of like an oil change on a really old car. Maybe some of you out there have a car that you're not even sure why it's still running. It's still on the road. It's still moving. It's going down the road, but there's black smoke coming out of the muffler. There's smoke coming out of the air conditioning vents when you turn it on. um, The leather is all falling apart. The paint's all chipped. The tires are four different brands, and they all have different types of rundown on them. And so your car is all completely falling apart. It's still running, barely, but but you still need to go get that oil change, right? You need to go get your oil change so the car doesn't fall apart completely. The Tower of Babel is like an oil change for the world that God gives. It's a a temporary solution. He divides their languages so that they can't continue to live in this lie of their own self-sufficiency so they don't completely run away from him completely. So they still have to depend on him, but it doesn't fix the problem. What they need is a new car. Well, Pentecost, finally we're back to Pentecost, Pentecost is the new car. Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. And I want you to see this in two places right here. But first off, uh, we see that the languages are brought together, right? When the disciples speak, they're all from Galilee, they would only speak uh, Aramaic and maybe a little Greek, but everyone else is hearing the gospel in their own language, God in Babel separates the languages, but here in Pentecost, he is bringing them together. Why? Not in order for them to grow in their own self-sufficiency, but so that, so that to them can be made known the sufficiency of God in Christ. What, is, what happens? What happens as soon as that Peter and the other disciples receive the Holy Spirit? They begin speaking about Jesus. They begin speaking about how God, instead of us trying to get to God, God has come towards us in Jesus in order to make us right with God, to fix our broken relationship with our Heavenly Father, to restore what was once broken. You see, the Holy Spirit here points to Jesus and his work. Peter, Peter declares that Jesus is what is going to, to save us from our problems, is going to save us from our self-sufficiency, is going to make us once again right with God. And he does this to his death and resurrection. Jesus dies. Fifty days earlier, Peter says, Jesus, this Jesus died, but was raised from the dead and is made Lord and Christ. And he testifies that you don't need to earn his favor. You don't need to earn his favor, but instead you only need to repent and to trust on the work that Jesus has done for you to cleanse you from your sin. Second, um, so the first being, God unites the languages to make himself known. The second thing is God comes to dwell with his people. When the people in Babel were building this tower to try to get to God, to try to become God, God does the opposite. He comes down to live with his people to the Holy Spirit. You see this here at the beginning, this strange passage about these tongues of fire that come and they uh, float, I guess, above the heads of the disciples. You're like, what does that mean? That doesn't make any sense. Well, if you know your Old Testament, it would make a little bit more sense. Throughout the Old Testament, God regularly reveals his presence with his people through uh, displaying himself as a ball of fire. You see this in the Exodus. As the people are leaving Egypt, you see the pillar of fire that goes above them. When they build the tabernacle, the the fire rests above the tabernacle. When they build the temple, the fire comes down and dwells in the temple. It, is significant, it, is, it signifies where does God live? And so all of these Jews had come from all over the world in order to get to Jerusalem. And the reason that they had done this was because they hoped to meet with God in the temple. They wanted to see the presence of God. They wanted to be close to the presence of God. Well, how amazing as these tongues of fire come to rest over the disciples, God is communicating to, the, to his people that God no longer is, his presence is no longer reserved for a static location. It is now present within his people. It is the ultimate fulfillment of God with us. It is God's presence, his spirit, living within us, dwelling with his people. So here's what's true. The Spirit's ultimate purpose, the ultimate purpose that the Holy Spirit has back then and today as well, is not ultimately to show how amazing the gifts of the Spirit are. This isn't the ultimate uh, fulfillment is of what the Spirit's trying to do, to show you how great His gifts are. Sure, they are great. He's also not ultimately just trying to show God's power. Certainly, he is showing God's power. He's showing how amazing God's power is, but that is not what he's ultimately trying to do. The ultimate work of the Holy Spirit is to communicate to our hearts who Jesus is and what he has done for us. It is to show us, to show our hearts that our sin has been paid for on the cross and has been defeated through his resurrection. This is the good news that the Spirit gives to us. It also gives us the good news that God has not left us, but that he continues to dwell with us. Now in Acts, there are a few moments where the Spirit goes above and beyond uh, the normal internal heart work that he usually does. He shows these amazing things like here at Pentecost where people hear the Word of God in their own languages. He also shows uh, when he appears to the Samaritans or when he uh, shows uh, the Gospel makes its way to the Samaritans sorry, or the Gentiles Um, there's different moments where there are these amazing things that happen like the Holy Spirit um, gives people tongues just like he does in Acts too or he, uh, he heals people, those kinds of things. He does these amazing things. But the normal, everyday work of the Holy Spirit is what we see right here in verse 37. 37 it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? It says those who heard the message that Peter was giving about Jesus were cut to the heart. Who cut them to the heart? The Holy Spirit. Spirit did. The Holy Spirit's role in the heart of, the, of a person is to convict them of their sin. You see what was happening here is these people were recognizing that they had a problem. Now, maybe you don't see how deep their problem was because you weren't paying close enough attention. But in verse 36, Peter says it to them very bluntly. He says, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is 50 days later. This isn't a completely brand new group of people who have never heard about Jesus. This is the group of people that saw Jesus' miracles and yet rejected him. This is the group of people that uh, said, free Barabbas and crucify Jesus. These are the people who knew who Jesus was, knew of him, but yet rejected him. They recognize, wow, I have rejected Jesus. I have rebelled against him. I have crucified. I have been a part of crucifying the very God of the universe. And they're cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit convicts even these people. They needed the Holy Spirit to be the one that would open their eyes so that they could see how messed up they really were, how broken they really were, how desperately needy they really were. But the good news is that when Jesus saw these people, these are also the people for whom Jesus prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit, these people open their eyes and they're able to repent and find grace even for those sins. This is the good news for us Christians. The the good news of the Spirit's work is that He is actively convicting our hearts, showing us our sin, showing us our deep need for Jesus and calling us to the truth. The truth that we have been made right with Him because of the work of Jesus. Holy Spirit just points to Jesus, points to Jesus, points to Jesus. This brings us to our next point the Spirit's mission. You might be wondering, why did I pick a passage on the Holy Spirit for Farewell Sunday? Well, this is why. Because on the day that you repented of your sin, That day you repented of your sin, those of you who are Christians. That day you turned to Jesus and asked Him to be your Savior. On that day, the same Holy Spirit that dwelt within the disciples, the same Holy Spirit that dwelt within these 3,000 new believers, came to dwell in your heart. And when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in someone's heart, it repurposes them. It repurposes them for a mission, the mission that God Himself is on. The Spirit of God has literally changed your life's purpose from one of self-sufficiency to one of showing the good news to other people. One of my favorite things about this passage is the list of nations that is listed here. Um, there's people from all over the known world, from all over Europe, from parts of Africa, from, uh, from the Middle East, all over the world. People have come together together Um, To hear God's word. And I just think it's amazing because God ordained that His Spirit would come on this day. And it's very strategic of the Lord because these people, as they've come on their pilgrimages to Jerusalem, are probably already thinking, oh, I can't wait to go back home and tell uh, my friends, my family who were unable to make this journey about my encounter with God, about my encounter in the temple. They had no idea that they were being prepared to go back to their friends and family with the greatest news of all time, that the Messiah is here and he has made us right with God. So you can imagine that they, have, they are already beginning to think, oh, I need to go tell my friends and my family about this good news back in where I come from in Africa or, or Europe or the Middle East or Asia. Already thinking about that. And you can tell they're already thinking about that because Peter goes ahead and he responds to the question that maybe is being mumbled amongst the crowd. It's like, is this good news just for us? Or is it for other people too? And Peter says, the promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God, our God, calls to himself. The living truth of the gospel is alive in you right now. The power of the Holy Spirit is alive in you right now. It lives in you. And God is changing you into a vessel that will make Him known. There are many of you today on Farewell Sunday. We just saw a group of you. I know some of you didn't come up. I saw you. Um, Who are leaving. You are heading off to somewhere new. The Lord has called you to a new place. When I came to Bogota, I had to go raise a whole lot of support. Your guys' jobs are actually paying you to go somewhere new. You guys get to be missionaries on your company's dime. God is calling you to a new place, and he is already preparing people where you are going who desperately need what you have. He's preparing them. For those of you who are leaving, who maybe, I expect you'll leave church today, that is our hope, Um, you will leave the church building today and you will go into other places, your workplaces, your sports teams, your schools, your uh, community events, your uh, men's and women's groups, whatever it is you find yourself in, all of those places are full of people who desperately need what you have. And God has given you the mission to show them the good news of what Jesus has done for you. That's good news. You are a part of God's mission. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're hearing me say... All right, go out there and work hard and do that evangelism. Do it. You need to make sure you have all the right answers. You need to make sure that you are perfectly prepared to answer every hard question that people have. And you need to make sure that you are able to convince people unequivocally of the truth of the gospel. Well, the problem with that line of thinking is that makes it sound like this is your job and the Holy Spirit is just wrong to help you. The way the Bible, the way this passage teaches us is actually this is the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict hearts. The Holy Spirit's job is to show them the good news of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's job is to call people to repent. That is the Holy Spirit's job. And then to confirm the truth of the gospel to the heart of the believer. Right? That is what the Holy Spirit does. You are along for the ride. You get the joy of collecting the fruit. When I was a kid, I, uh, my parents used to take me to a strawberry patch. It was like a, you know a, a big garden full of strawberry and blackberry and blueberry plants. And they would pay some amount of money, I don't know, 10 bucks or something. And we would go through the field and we would pick all of the strawberries, and we put them in our basket, and we get to take home all of these fresh and delicious strawberries. And as a kid, I remember thinking, man, gardening is so fun. But that's because I didn't have to do any of the planting. I didn't have to do any of the tilling. I didn't have to do any of the watering. I didn't have to do any of the fertilizing. I had to do anything, not to mention all the stuff that we don't even do, that God does that makes the plant grow. I didn't have to do any of that. All I had to do was pick the fruit. God is preparing people in your lives already. There are people who are desperately experiencing pain and suffering and emptiness and loss and feelings of purposelessness and feelings of uh, lack of love, loneliness, who need to hear about this God of the Bible, the God of the Bible that reconciles himself to them. This God of the Bible who dwells with them. They desperately need to hear. They're just ready for the answer. If you don't believe me, just think about your own story. Think about how did you become a Christian? Was it because someone sat down with you, one person, and they did all the work? They said they started from the beginning to convince you of everything. Or was it a lifetime of trials and struggles and conversations and various events in your life that opened your heart and made you ready for that day the person shared the gospel with you? Even if you grew up in a Christian family, you have the gift of your parents and your family and your church speaking these things to you years and years and years. I didn't tell this in the first service, but um, one of the jokes I tell in youth ministry, I'm a youth pastor, is that youth ministers, they spend years, years investing in your children, teaching them the gospel, pointing them to Jesus so that they can thank their college pastor for the great work he has done in their life. That's how it is. The Lord works over time. And I want you guys to know, as I mentioned youth, I want you to know that this promise isn't just for those out there. The next, for the next generation. It says the promise is for you and your children. The promise is for you and your children. The people, the young people, are a mission field as well. God's mission isn't just uh, global, it's Generational. He longs to see the next generation be encountered, have their questions answered, have their needs met in the person of Jesus. And we as a church are called to do that to those in our community, whether they are yours or they are just other fellow children, the children of your your peers here. This is our calling. God has given us a mission. He's doing the work. We get the joy of participating. And this is what the Holy Spirit does in us. He confirms these truths to our heart. He teaches them to us. He convicts our hearts. And he uses us to teach them to other people. Let's rejoice and let us be thankful for what he has done for us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the ways that it, that it shapes us and cha- that you, you shape us and you change us through your Holy Spirit. Um, you convict our hearts. Lord, would you convict hearts this morning? Would you convict... Hearts of people who are living in self-sufficiency, who desperately need you. May they find in you the hope of the gospel. Lord, for those of us who are who are struggling or hurting, may you confirm the truth, the good news of the gospel to our hearts. For those of us uh, who uh, are in environments where we need to be more vocal about what we, what we know, what you have done for us, may you make it clear to us um, and give us the, the, the courage to take opportunities to just share about you. Yes, Lord. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org